Hello and welcome to the London School of Theology podcast. You are listening to our weekly chapel service. In this episode, you'll be hearing from the Reverend Professor Mark Cartledge. London School of Theology. Forming disciples. Resourcing churches. Impacting society. So I want to talk about the whole canon of scripture today. That's really a big subject. I can't really cover it all. So I've started with the beginning and a bit at the end, the kind of bookends of, of the Bible as, as we have it. Um, why don't you turn to a neighbor and ask the question, is there a passage of scripture or a verse of scripture that God is using to speak to you at the moment? Okay, what's, what's he saying to you through scripture at the moment? Okay, you've only got a minute. You've got to be quick. Scripture passages and Bible verses are really important to us. We read the Bible daily, I hope, and we think about it, we study it, and we share what God is doing in our lives. As part of a re-envisioning process, we produced a new vision and strategy uh, towards the end of last year, and um, we have values um, that we've listed, and the first one is actively becoming Christ-like, developing godly character and virtues. And those of you who are attentive will realize that the sermon series last term tried to focus on Christ-likeness. This term, we're looking at being shaped by the canon of Scripture as a supreme authority for faith and life. So there's a whole series of sermons on Scripture, various aspects, different takes on it. And then next term, we'll be thinking about celebrating Christian community exhibiting the gifts and fruit of the Holy Spirit in praise, prayer, sacrament, fellowship and service, and embodying collegiality for the flourishing of all. So values are important. A value is something that we prize or prefer. So we might prefer chocolate ice cream, but it's not really a value, because, well, unless you prized it that much. But something that we think is really important for our life together in community is a value. So we value Scripture. It's really important to us. Not only is it in our doctrinal statements of faith, but it's something that we really value in our life together as a community. Well, today I wanted just to talk about three basic things. Uh, the fir- I'll give you three words just to, just to hold on to. Identity, improvisation, and imagination. Who are we? What's our identity? This is a really important question. We find ourselves in society today asking the question, who, who are we or who are you? Do you know who you are? Often people tell a story about where they came from, what they believe, what world they inhabit. Um, a year or so ago, uh, Linda Woodhead, who's an a- academic at King's College London, a sociologist, gave a series of public lectures in which she talked about religion or values as the new religion. We are focused on values now. All organizations have value statements. We think about values a lot. And for many people, it is clustered around certain values, perhaps equality and diversity and inclusion. Those are values that are promoted within society and in education. Her argument is that our society is changing. And values are changing in society. Well, once upon a time, the value of self-sacrifice was paramount. We'll go to war for king and country. Nowadays, 
not quite so much uh, do you hear that spoken. Instead, the value that's really uh, saturating our culture is live your own life. Be who you are and who you want to be. Be authentic to yourself. A kind of me-centered culture. Yes, there are rules. Yes, there are boundaries. But it's fundamentally about living your own life, being authentic, being fulfilled. And there's a bit of a clash here of identity. And for me, it's really, in a sense, comes really sharply when we think of the words of Jesus. Jesus who said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's not a live-your-life ethic. That is more of a sacrificial ethic. Our vision statement is forming disciples, resourcing churches, and impacting society. In all that we do in this community, we are seeking to form disciples, followers of Jesus. That's what a disciple is, someone who sits at the feet of the master and learns. We are followers of Jesus, but we do so in a culture and a society that is very different to the values of Jesus. And increasingly, we are standing against a tide, a cultural tide. How can we be disciples of Jesus and also be citizens in our respective societies? That's a real challenge for us. Very often when I have conversations uh, with folk, I found myself in dialogue almost with two people. Because on the one hand, there's values that come from secular society that are being espoused. And then on the other hand, there's Christian values as well. And it's almost like that, that clash has become internalized in ourselves. And one of the, I think, the great challenges of theological education is to help disciples of Jesus work out their identity in Christ. Who are we before the Lord? Before Who are we in society? Because as Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. There's a real challenge there. So the first value I want to talk about, I just mentioned, is the value of identity. Who are you? Who are you becoming? What kind of journey are you on? The second value that I want to talk about is the value of the canon of Scripture. Scripture is really important to us. It's central to our life as evangelical Christians. Very often evangelicals are known to elevate Scripture as the supreme authority over all other authorities, tradition, reason, experience, uh, etc., so I've asked about your favorite uh, Bible verse, which is really important. But of course, we can use biblical texts in all sorts of ways which we shouldn't. I'm very fond of saying to my students, a text without a context is a pretext for a con. Have you heard me say that before? No? Oh, someone's nodding. We have to read the Bible in context. And the biggest context, of course, is the whole canon the whole canon of Scripture. I don't know how many of you would claim to have read the whole canon. Probably not in one sitting, right? Although you might read Mark's Gospel in one sitting. That's a good thing to do. 
When I was uh, working in America, I discovered two things about American Christians. I love American Christians, by the way. But some of them are really frustrating. <laughs> Thanks, Conrad. <laughs> Sometimes American preachers would bounce around the Bible as if they're playing Bible bingo. And you're waiting for the next text to come. And you're going to shout out, yay, I've got it. Other times I found myself in a conversation, and the conversation turned into an argument, and these Bible-believing Christians in southern states of America would use biblical verses as if they were like bullets from a gun. And you'd find yourself impaled with biblical texts as they tried to persuade you of their argument and win you over, but you're just kind of assaulted, really, by the Bible. Instead, I want to suggest that we could look at the Bible as if it were a big story. A big story, a script, like a, a, a play script. And uh, years ago, uh, Tom Wright visited college. In 1989, he gave the Lang Lecture on how can the Bible be authoritative. That was the question. He did actually give an answer at the end of the lecture. Was anybody there for the 1989 Lang Lecture? Conrad was. It was published in 91 in the, in the uh, Vox Evangelical Journal, which is the college's journal back then. And Tom Wright has used this in many times. But he asked the question, if the Bible is a kind of script, a theodrama, and God is the main actor in the drama, and we are also actors in that drama... What would it look like? What would it feel like? So he has this idea of a Shakespearean play. Anybody into Shakespeare? Yeah. Oh, more than, more than I realized. And he has this idea of a Shakespearean play that's been lost and that suddenly has been recovered. So you have Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, Act 4, and just the beginning of Act 5, Scene 1. He said you could get a whole bunch of Shakespearean actors who understood the genre of a Shakespearean play, and they could be trained in the, in the play up to Act 5, Scene 1. So they're in character, they know the plot, they know the subplots, they know all the twists and turns of the storyline. They get it. And then you could invite them to perform Act 5, Scene 2, in character, improvising. Now, they can't just do what they like. They have to, because they're in the story, okay? They can't, they can't just make it up without any reference to the authority of the theodrama that has already happened, or the drama. I'm going ahead of myself. So what they need to do is they need to act it out in a way that's consistent with the story so far told. And that's the authority of the story. But yet, there is some room for improvisation and innovation. Now, there's a tension there, and that's, I think, some of the tensions that we find ourselves in when we read the Bible today. And as a community of a church, we seek to perform it. But the point is that the script, the authority, the text is performed. It's not just read and discussed, it's enacted in a way that makes sense, not just at a kind of intellectual level, 
but an affective level. We feel it, we know it, and we enact it. And that's a really important uh, uh, idea. I tend to think of Scripture as, um, as a story. I think it has a beginning, a middle, and the end. Uh, right at the center of Scripture is Jesus, of course. And it's a really important focal point in our understanding of the text. Years ago, I studied a reformer called Thomas Cranmer for a, for a lecture I had to give. And I wrote uh, an article. Well, it was a public lecture, but it became an article. And I um, found myself reading the preface to the first English Bible that was authorized for use in the church in England. It was um, published in 1539. Uh, there were a few problems with the printing because those naughty Roman Catholics in Paris scuppered some of the printing. But we won't go on to the naughty Roman Catholics in Paris. It eventually came out in 1540 as a second edition. The second edition has a preface by Thomas Cranmer in which he explains to the reader the book, the book of the Bible. And he writes this. Take, and it's old-fashioned English, I'm afraid, take the books into thine hands. Read the whole story. And that thou understandest, keep it well in memory. Thou that understandest not, read it again and again. If thou can neither so come by it, counsel with some other that is better learned. Go to thy curate, the vicar, the priest, and preacher. Show thyself to be desirous to know and learn. And I doubt not, but God, seeing thy diligence and readiness, if no man else teach thee, will himself vouchsafe with his Holy Spirit to illuminate thee and to open unto thee that which was locked from thee. Read it. Read the whole Bible. Read it again and again. If you don't understand something, ask Conrad or Cor or David or someone else who you think might know some other stuff. But if you're really puzzled, and this is why, if you're really puzzled, then ask the Holy Spirit. Maybe you should start with the Holy Spirit and then go to others. What a wonderful text. At the center of Scripture is Jesus. The whole Old Testament points to Christ. The whole New Testament looks back and explains who Jesus is. The whole forming of disciples is a really important aspect. But we do it because we want to become more like Jesus and we want to serve the kingdom of God. So God speaks to us as a community and as individually um, through Jesus. Jesus is central. Some years ago, a friend of mine, an American uh, former student of mine, uh, he planted a church in Portland, Oregon. He moved from Eugene, Oregon to Portland, Oregon. Anybody been to Portland, Oregon? No? One person. It's kind of full of really trendy hipster-type people. He was one of those type of people. And he planted a church for trendy hipster-type people who were under 30. 
I visited it once and I felt completely out of place. You'd understand that, right? Well, when he first started the church, he met in a house. 20 people from his old church came with him to plant the new church. And he had a few services in, that, in his house. And after a few weeks, he decided to take a collection. So the plate went round. And at the end, he gathered the plate. And he looked down and he counted it. And he counted $45 and a guitar pick. <laughs> so <clears throat> he said, well, I better open a bank account. So he goes to the bank. And he says, I've got $45 and a guitar pick. Can I open a bank account? Yes, sir, you can open a, a bank account with the $45. We don't trade in guitar picks. So, okay, so he fills out the forms. And he gets to part of the form, and he, he get, has a bit of a problem. Because as yet, the church does not have a name. So the bank teller says, well, you have to have a name for the bank account. He said, but we don't have a name yet. He said, you cannot open a bank account without a name. So being AJ, being a good Pentecostal, he says, how about I open a bank account in the name of Jesus? (laughs) (laughs) To which the bank teller says, oh, okay, that's fine. (laughs) So he opens a bank account in the name of Jesus. Right, you write a check to Jesus, give it to AJ, he puts it in the bank. Only in America can you open a bank account in the name of Jesus. Although there is something, a possible fundraising strategy here, Jonathan, that maybe we can tap into. (laughs) Why did he do that? Well, he's a funny guy and he's got funny ideas. But there's something about Jesus being the center of the whole of our lives. And scriptures point to that. I'm not suggesting you open bank accounts in the name of Jesus. But there's something important about reading the scriptures and paying attention to the the hermeneutical key of, of Jesus. So I've talked about the value of identity. I've talked about the value of the canon of scripture. I want to talk about the value of our imagination. Because if we are going to participate in this script we're going to perform the script of Scripture, then we need imagination to be able to do it. You've got to understand the different genres of Scripture, the different ways in which the images inform our thinking and our affections and our actions. So we come to the passages of Scripture that I had asked uh, to be read, although... The the second one, I need to do something else with the second one. Thank you very much, Michael, for reading. The first passage is the Garden of Eden. This This is the first tree. The tree of life is an image that's used there. And in the garden, you have this imagery of the presence of God and Adam. And Adam's like the kind of priest of the temple, really. It's a kind of foreshadowing of a temple. So Adam has this relationship and this image of a tree representing life. So here we have, at the beginning of creation, God giving life to Adam and the context of life, his mini-world of Eden. Paradise is perfection. And he's placed in the Garden of Delights to enjoy the presence of God 
and to enjoy life. It's represented by the tree. The next time you hear the tree of life as a phrase is in Proverbs. And in Proverbs, it's referred to four times. The first one is as wisdom. Wisdom is like the tree of life. Uh, The second one is righteousness. Living the life of righteousness is like a tree of life. The third is a desire fulfilled. That's a good one, isn't it? So there's something about your desires here. Your desires fulfilled is like a tree of life. Have you ever longed for something and then eventually it happened? What happened to you when that that occurred? Did that bring joy to your life? Did you feel happy? Did you feel like, wow, something's moving here? And the final one is speech, kind speech. How we speak can bring life to others. That's what Proverbs said. There's another image of trees which does not refer to the tree of life, but it does link to Revelation 22, which I'll come on to. And that's Ezekiel 47. In Ezekiel 47, you have the the waters coming out from the temple, the center of the worshiping life of the community. And they rise and they rise and they rise, and they give renewal to the whole land, apart from the marshlands, the salty bits. And this fresh water flows into the sea. And then there are these trees, these wonderful trees, and they bring fruit and there's leaves for the healing of the nations. What a fantastic image of renewal. And that's been on my heart. That's my, one of my verses that's been on my heart, that God would bring this renewal to us and our community. In Revelation 22, so Michael was just ahead of me, but let me read 22. We have a reference to the tree of life again. These are the bookends of the canon. Let me read you. Uh, in fact, the, the, uh, the heading in chapter 22 of Revelation in my Bible is Eden Restored. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. John is picking up this image from Ezekiel 47. This is the fulfillment of that prophetic um, text. What we have here is the culmination of all things. At the beginning, we have creation. At the center, we have Christ. And at the end, we have this consummation of all things. It's an incredible vision, and we need imagination to begin to appreciate it. We can't understand it. We can't know its meaning in action unless we take an imaginative step and place ourselves within this story so we can anticipate this will be amazing. So I'm using the tree of life as an illustration of how the canon can work to help us to appreciate God's story and how his story, 
has become our story as the church has been incorporated into this whole reality. The interesting thing is, in Eden, you've got Adam and Eve and the tree of life. In Revelation 22, you've got many people from many nations and many peoples from around the world gathered together to symbolize this temple, if you like, where God's presence, because there's the God is on the throne and the Lamb is on the throne, and there's this worshiping context. You see, at the end of the day, Scripture is really given to us as a gift to help us worship God aright. The end of all theology is worship. If at the end of the day you leave LST and you have lost the desire to worship, something has gone awry. One of my closest friends graduated as an atheist when I was here. Something went awry in his life, and it was personal circumstances, which I won't go into. If the goal of our mission is to form disciples, resourcing churches, impacting society, we will only ever do that if we are, at the end of the day, worshippers. Because there's going to be no evangelism in heaven, right? The mission will be complete. God will be all in all. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. All will be under the lordship of Jesus. What scripture does, it helps us if we use it aright to worship God. In the Anglican tradition, the primary place for the reading of scripture is worship. Yes, we study with all the scholarly gifts that God has given us. But everything is brought into that space where we bow the knee and we worship. So when I studied Cranmer, two words came to me from his work. One is just an intense reverence for the text of Scripture. This is a holy book. This is a holy sight. We encounter God in these words by the Spirit. It is holy. It is set apart. It is sacred. So we approach it on our knees. And the second thing, because he was a reformer, his view was, in light of this text, we reform our lives to conform to it. Consistency and innovation are important. So as I, as I close, I'd like to pray. What I've tried to say today is that the whole canon, the whole story is important. Don't just read the bits that you like. Read the whole text, and there are difficult texts. But you only make sense of the difficult texts in light of the whole text. Thank you for listening to the London School of Theology podcast. To find out more about LST and our courses, please visit our website.